0: Hello, and welcome to The 7th Stage Podcast. I'm Joey Ping, and on today's episode, we're presenting a webinar on how to increase confidence and accuracy on logical reasoning by using a technique that we call predicting the right answer choice. 7th Stage tutor, Tiara Lalusa, talks about one of the best approaches to effectively sort through LR answer choices to help you avoid those pesky trap answers. Then she and 7th Stage tutor, Scott Milam, take questions from the audience. So good evening. My name is Scott Mylon. I'm the manager of the Seven Stage Tutoring Program. Tonight I'm joined by Tiara Lalusa. Tiara is an actress in LA and one of the rising stars of our tutoring program. This evening she is here to discuss the ways that you can improve your speed on the logical reasoning section by prephrasing your answers. Tiara, take it away.
1: Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have fun talking about all the prephrasing. Logical reasoning is it's personally, that's my favorite section. That's one that kind of came, I guess, most naturally to me. And I found in tutoring that prephrasing is just like, I think an indispensable tool that more people could be taking advantage of. So we're going to talk about what exactly is it, Why should we do it? What's the value in it? How do I do it? Step-by-step strategy for that. And then I've got sort of like a three different column thing of like, yes, definitely prephrase these question types. Maybe, depends, and do not prephrase these. And so we'll go through those. And then we'll do some examples. So you can see real-time examples of prephrasing. And then I'll kind of, if we have time, we'll talk about maybe some common obstacles that I see students struggling with in getting a successful prephrase. So I will share my screen here. All right. Okay, so what is prephrasing? It's just a prediction, right? Prephrasing is a prediction of the correct answer choice based on the question stem and the stimulus. And we do this so that we can actively hunt for the answer, right? We're not just waiting for the correct answer choice to, to happen upon us. We're not waiting in all the answer choices trying to figure out which ones to eliminate. We actively go searching for it, right? So why do we do that? So much time can be gained by doing this. If we are taking that, that step towards being active, then we can go to the answer choices. If we see it, we just choose it and move on. And accumulated doing that over the course of several question types is going to increase your speed by, by quite a bit.
0: So I mean, a common question I get from clients I've had in the past is when I try to explain the strategy to them is how much time can that really save? So maybe you can speak to that. Why why is it that pre-phasing really improves our speeds by that much?
1: Well, so I'm jumping ahead now, but I think it's worth it to answer your question. So if we're prephrasing specifically for questions 1 to 15 right because we really only want to be doing this for easier question types. So there's 15 questions that let's say we successfully prephrase for 10 of them. We're able to successfully prephrase and we go to the answer choices we find it we choose it and move on we don't even read the other answer choices. If we're able to do that that's anywhere from I don't know 20 to 40 seconds sometimes more honestly. And, and adding that up really can get you to the point that now when you get to the more difficult questions, now I've bought myself time and I'm going to need that time for the more difficult questions.
0: Yeah. So it's because you're not having to like seriously engage with every single answer choice and kind of do this process of elimination with every answer choice. But you're said you you're looking for a particular answer and you're just discarding anything that that doesn't look like your right answer. So you're you're kind of skimming through the answer choices, looking for the thing that you're that you really want.
1: Yes, exactly. Got it. So oh, I, I jumped ahead. So we are also doing it to take advantage of repetitive material. There's a fact about the LSAT that like, I don't know what it is. I feel like I feel like people understand this in some abstract way, but they, I don't know this, like they don't find a a practical way to use the knowledge where across all prep tests, the LSAT actually is the same material repeated over and over and over. It is in a different container, right? It's going to be, it's going to sound a little different, it's going to be shaped a little different, but it's the same thing. Yeah. And so for the same reasons that we are going to foolproof logic games and for the same reason that we need to get really, really good at low-res summaries for RC, we should also be pre-phrasing for LR to take advantage of that repetitive material. So how important is it? How valuable is it? In my opinion, right, if I were to phrase it in sufficient, necessary LSAT speak, pre-phrasing is not necessary to find the correct answer for every single LR question. And in fact, like I just said, like we're not going to be able to on every single, or we shouldn't try to on every single LR question, but some level of prephrasing on some of the questions is necessary if you're going to get that section done in time and also reflect the accuracy that you're capable of. So pretty important. So how do we prephrase? We're in our LR section, right? We get a question, we read the question stem first. That gives us the filter, right, the criteria of that particular question type, and we use that filter to run the stimulus through. We read the stimulus and we're running it through that filter, right? So now we're able to analyze the stimulus in a more efficient way.
0: Pause for just a second, kind of explain that idea of a filter. So when you, when you say that, what does that mean? And can you give us an example?
1: Yeah, each and every single question type has a very specific, it has a unique criteria for what a correct answer choice is going to be like. So if I get a question stem and I see the word uh, assume and if in the same question stem, I know I've got a sufficient assumption question and I know that my job is to make this argument valid and I'm off, right? I go to the stimulus, I'm running it through that filter. If I get a resolve, reconcile, explain question, right? I see the word paradox or, or something, some synonym of that. Now I know my job is to reconcile two things that seem inconsistent. Or, or make them be less surprising, depending on the on the stimulus.
0: Then does that change the way that you read the stimulus? Absolutely,
1: yes. And maybe that could be a whole nother webinar. I honestly think that's material enough that you could go through every single question type and just be like, okay, for this one, exactly what am I looking for? Like, what does that filter look like? So yes.
0: And an obvious example, like with, with main conclusion questions, obviously, if you if that that's what I'm looking for. I mean you're you're going to engage in the stimulus in a completely different way than if that you're trying to find a flaw in an argument. If all I have to do is find a conclusion, oh well, then that can be a much quicker and simpler task than if I'm trying to really evaluate okay what's the what's the big mistake in this argument or something like that, Oh no, I just have to figure out like what the what the main point of the argument is, and that obviously is another place where this can certainly save us time.
1: yes, totally. So we've gone to that point and we don't read the answer choices yet, right? We stop and we make our prediction. And then once we've made it, now we go into the answer choices. And just like Scott was saying, we're just skimming, right? We're just skimming to find the shape. You're not going to get word perfect prephrases all the time. So we're just skimming to find the shape or the skeleton of what you said, right? See if it checks the box of what your prephrase was. And if we, we get it, we, we choose that and we move on. We discussed this earlier on, but yeah, after about question 15 ish, we're going to abandon this because again, easier or it's better for the easier question types.
0: Another question I often get from from people or one difficulty that I often see clients have with this is, so what, what happens if you've, you, you have a question type, you've prephrased the answer, you get through A, B, C, D, and E, and you didn't find it. Like, what do we do? Panic, mayhem, skip the question.
1: You, you could panic. I don't recommend it. I do not ever recommend panic. You should probably, ju- I mean, like try really hard, right? To just let it go. That's one of the, in terms of like common obstacles, that's definitely one of the ones that I see is people are just like locked into their prephrase. You've just got to let it go. Be really light with your grip on that thing. And if you can't do that, then yes, definitely skip it. Just skip it, come back to it. A fresh set of eyes will work, will work wonders for looking at the answer choices again. So moving into our three columns of do I to prephrase or not to prephrase because I'm a Shakespeare nerd. So on the first part, we've got, yes, like absolutely Always questions one through 15, you're going to want to prephrase these. Like Scott was saying, main conclusion. And actually main conclusion is, I'd have to think about the other ones, but main conclusion, I would put on its own special little list of like even the harder ones, I think you could probably prephrase four. But yeah, this one you're, you see it's a main conclusion question and you're just focused on parsing out that argument. That's it. That's your whole job. You find it and you look for it in the answer choices and then you move on.
0: Yeah, and I think often that's the that's the one where it's if if you're new to this and you're you're just starting out, start off with main conclusion questions the next time you're going through an LR section because chances are by the time you're taking full sections, by the time you're taking prep tests, you've gone through enough main conclusion questions that you really ought to be able to generate the main conclusion of pretty much any LR argument that you're going to be given, and that by itself can really speed up your test because main conclusion even maybe more than a lot of the rest of these, you can really generate. You, you can go through the stimulus and save yourself a lot of time there as well as save an immense amount of time going through the answer choices. So between the two of those, you you really can take these from sometimes 70, 80 second questions down to 40 second questions. And just a few of those really can can improve your score on the LR section. Absolutely
1: argument part, same kind of thing, right? You're, It's, it's going to be a matter of parsing out the argument and then also figuring out, okay, so what was the function of that, right? What was the function within the stimulus there? And then looking for that in the answer choices. Sufficient assumption and PSA rule, definitely prephrase. With PSA rule, you're going to have to have a little bit of flexibility, right? Because it's not, we're not going to end up with a perfectly valid argument, right? Where we've been given it in terms of principles. So now we have to have Flexibility with, okay, well, does it still check the box in terms of this is this is still the concept we're talking about or this is the general idea? And with sufficient assumption, it probably is going to be a verbatim thing from the stimulus. Flexibility required would be something like, did they give you the contrapositive, right? Or did they come at it at some angle you you weren't expecting? Method of reasoning that you're running through, you're going through the stimulus and you're running through after each sentence pretty much, right? You're, you're thinking about, okay, so what, what function did that serve? And then you do it with the next sentence and the next sentence. And then by the time you're done, you do the whole thing, right? Wrap it all together. And that is your method of reasoning. Flaw questions, again, definitely prephrase. I tend to say that first line of defense against flaw questions are going to be being really, really, well-versed in common logical fallacies. It's going to do a lot of heavy lifting for you. It's not a sure thing by any means. And so in the event that you get a question type and it isn't a common logical fallacy, it really can be like, this sounds, this sounds so basic, but it really can be helpful to just forget you're taking the LSAT and pretend like this person is saying this thing to you and your job is to argue with them. What might you say back? And then what you're going to say back is probably going to be a bit more specific than whatever the correct answer choice is. But look for an abstract version, right? A description of the thing that you that you said you would say back in the answer choices, and that can be that can be pretty helpful.
0: There was a question in the chat that maybe we can get to real quick, and that is several asked the question: Why single out questions one through fifteen on LR? Why why would prephrasing work better on those than on the, the later questions?
1: Yeah. After question 15, and again, that's that's an ish thing. You'll feel it. You'll feel when the questions start to get harder. As they start to get harder, one of the things that makes them really difficult is that they are designed to be difficult to prephrase. And not only that, they're going to be difficult to prephrase. And then also the LSAT writers are super clever and not really out to help you, unfortunately. And so what they're going to try to do is try to predict your prediction. And so they are going to s- expect you to have this particular prephrase. They're going to put it in the answer choice, m- maybe tweaked a little bit so that it's incorrect. And as you're skimming, you will maybe fall victim to that, to that lure. Does that answer?
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. And I guess I, the, the one thing I would add there yeah, is th- so that as the questions get more difficult, not only is it often more challenging to prephrase the answer, just because the stimulus is often much more difficult to deal with and the, the, the exact task that you have to do when you engage with the stimulus is. But it's also that the answer choices become markedly harder. And as you get into four and five star questions, usually the easiest way for a test writer to build a trap is to come up with something that sounds suspiciously similar to a prephrase. So if you're using the strategy as you get into the later part of the test, as you get into the kind of the more advanced material, you have to be especially careful that this doesn't lead you to trip over every trap on the back half of the LR section. And I've certainly seen clients do that, where they are going in with this kind of fast pre-phrase strategy that they've really developed, and it really helps them get through the first 10 or 15 questions really efficiently. But then if they continue that same same pattern as they get to the more challenging questions, well, then you still might go really fast fast, but of course, it's going to come at the the expense of accuracy on those harder questions. On pretty much every section of the test, it really helps to be able to kind of switch gears as you go through the test. As you're engaging with easy material, you're using strategies like pre-phrase and and, using a lot of these techniques that we teach are going to help you to get through that easy material very quickly and store up your time so that when you get to the back half of each of these sections where the questions tend to be much more difficult, then you can switch gears, you can be a lot more selective, you can be a lot more skeptical of answer choices, and you can do that more rigid and time-consuming process of elimination that'll help you boost your accuracy on really hard material.
1: Yeah. So on our maybe list of prephrasing. So the first three on here are all in here for the same reason. Yeah, necessary assumption, weaken, and strengthen. And they're all on here because to me there are just too many possibilities. If you successfully prephrase one of these, I I think you got lucky. And it could be a, I shouldn't say that sounds very I don't know, cynical, I don't know. It could be that you get, I don't know, a strengthen. A strengthened stimulus, you read it and you think about some kind of weakness. And so your prephrase counters that weakness, right? And that's fine. And it, and it's, it, it is a good prephrase in the sense that you came up with something that would successfully strengthen the argument, but the likelihood that you chose the same thing that they chose is minuscule. Yeah. So to me, I wouldn't do that, but I'd leave it up to... To the individual. And so for other reasons that I give a qualified recommendation, parallel and parallel flaw questions. I know Scott has mentioned that he disagrees, he's welcome to interject, but to me, I I do recommend you prephrase these, but it is it's structure and it's it's not content. So it's sort of a it's just a different thing.
0: Yeah. And to, to explain my disagreement on that, or maybe to qualify it a little bit, ultimately, parallel and parallel flaw, for that matter, accept questions in, in similar ways. You can't strictly prephrase them because ultimately there's an unlimited number of possibilities of the answer choices. They could use any sort of material as kind of grist for the mill for, for those answer choices. But that doesn't mean that you can't read the question stem, go through the stimulus oh, here's how the argument is structured, and then use that structure to say, okay, well, I, I know this was an really simple A then B, A therefore B sort of style argument. So I'm looking for that structure as I go through the answer choices. It's not going to be quite the level of prephrase that you get with a main conclusion where you, you can come pretty close to actually just getting a word for word answer, on, especially on some of the easy ones. But nonetheless, that kind of active process of even coming out of the stimulus, I have ideas about what I am looking for in the answer choices rather than just kind of going in blind to every answer choice and trying to to eliminate it cold. You can certainly speed your process along, even though it, it's going to feel a little different than your prephrasing, say, a flock
1: question. Yeah, for sure. And then lastly, pointed issue is on the qualified recommendation list. And that, that's just about what your approach is for pointed issue. If you do what JY does, where he reads the first little bit of dialogue and then eliminates answer choices based on that, and then reads the second person, eliminates based on that, you, you don't need a prephrase if and there's no there's no better or worse in terms of approach but if you read the whole thing all at once then absolutely you can be looking for what is the point of overlap for point of agreement or point of disagreement on the hard no list and all of this is has the asterisk of like in my opinion so if you find that something on this list it actually does work for you to prephrase go for it but I've got PSA application, right? And that's the one, there's like three versions of principle questions. So PSA application is the one where it gives you a principle in the stimulus, and then it will give you situations and ask which one is justified by that principle. With that kind of question, the stimulus is literally the criteria. Like They have handed it to you, so it's better to just go on into the answer choices and, and check against that criteria right? and eliminate based on that. Evaluate questions. To me, it is easier to to just take each answer choice as a fresh slate and and see how it would affect the argument or if it will resolve, reconcile, explain. This is another one I remember Scott <laughs> t- kind of disagrees with, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to keep putting him on the spot. It's just that I do want to I want to kind of underscore here that it's okay to have your own list. Right? This is just a baseline for for everybody to pull from. But this one for me, it's the same sort of thing. My brain does better of just one by one. Does does this help? No, it does not. Does this one help? No, it does not. Oh, this one does. Great. Must be true and most strongly supported. Too many possibilities. Necessary assumption, weaken and strengthening. those. Those kind of made it onto the maybe list. These, that's just a definite no for me. And then principle, which is structurally like they've reversed PSA applications. So now you've got a situation and a bunch of principles and they're asking which one is most is best illustrated. Right. And that to me, those question types are they're basically like. They're a most strongly supported question with like this much more predictability to them. And then lastly, we've got accept questions. I had completely forgotten about these altogether. And this Scott was like, you gotta put them on the list. And he, he pointed out, he noticed, I'd never noticed this, that accept questions are almost always from the, this list, right, the don't prephrase list or the qualified recommendation to prephrase list. So for that reason, they have ended up on the, the don't prephrase list.
0: Yeah, and also for the similar reasons that you there can just be an unlimited number of, of possible right answers on on an accept question. A kind of natural question I have for this and that I've I've had clients ask me in the past is, okay, so Maybe I don't prephrase at all right now. I'm I'm just laboriously going through each answer choice, and it's taking me forever. How do I get started on this? Because in some ways, like these these long lists of you know here here are questions you can, here are questions you can't, here are some maybe's. Like I, I'm sure there are some people listening to this that 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 this all feels kind of daunting too. Like what's what's the what's the first step for kind of incorporating this into our LR routine?
1: As far as like a very, very concrete first step, I think just sort of hearkening back to what you were saying of like, I think main conclusion is definitely the first baby step, right? It's the easiest one to do. And it's going to make conclusion that will strengthen and transfer over to all of your other right that is required of all question types. So that's the first one I would say get really good at. And then past that, I feel like apologizing because I think my answer might be also daunting and maybe you can soften it a bit. One of the first things that I did, and I did a lot of things in my LSAT study journey that were not smart, this was one that was. And I, for LR, I got reflexively familiar with what each question type was asking for, right? You can't prephrase without knowing that. So as a separate drill, seriously, as a separate drill, like you need to be able to identify from the question stem, what kind of question is this and all variations without even having to think about it. And then also what exactly is that asking for? Not kind of, right? Because now I'm jumping ahead again, but I want to. Another common obstacle is people will prephrase for the wrong question type, right? They are giving, they give me a really good strengthening prephrase, but we're on a necessary assumption question. So that is what I would say. I'm sorry if that is also daunting. No, no. And one thing I would add to
0: that is kind of what we were talking about with main conclusion questions. I love what you say that you really have to fully understand these questions and what they're asking for to have any chance of being able to prephrase them. This is in some ways an advanced tactic. If you're just at the beginning of LR and you're just now starting to understand what each of these question types even is or what it's expecting of you, don't expect that you can do this right away. Tuck this away. This is this is a strategy that as you start getting close to your test day, you really are starting to get from minus 10 to minus 5 or aiming for even higher is really going to free up your time and let you do that. But as you, if you're wanting to learn this and start to adjust to it, I would encourage you do one question type at a time. Main conclusion, obviously, is the, the easiest place to start. But after you've really kind of gotten a feel for it on that question type, Maybe try to incorporate another. Try to you know, introduce flaw questions and and really you know, drill some easy flaw questions and see if you're able to prephrase the answers and you know, use that strategy in order to gain you some time and kind of tackle it one answer or one question type at a time because these really do require that you you fully understand when you read that question step. Yes, this is a sufficient assumption question, and what's more, I know exactly what a sufficient assumption question is going to ask of me as a test taker. What exact reading of the stimulus that requires in order for me to engage it at a high level? And honestly, these sorts of drills, even if you don't end up prephrasing much of the test itself, will end up teaching you so much more about how th- these question types work and improve your accuracy. Because again, it's kind of forcing you to be an active reader in the so- same sort of way that we would recommend that you be on the RC section, or reading through the stimulus and you're actively trying to think ahead: What's going to come next? What's the flaw in this? What's the the next step? What's the, what's the gap that I'm finding in this? And even if you, you don't end up prephrasing the significant portions of the test, just that the practice of going through that and training yourself for that, you'll be amazed how it improves just how well you're able to engage with the logical material on the test and make you better.
1: Okay, so we're going to jump into some examples. So going through the same steps that I talked about before, right? We read the question stem first. Which one of the following most accurately expresses the main conclusion of the psychologist's argument? So, we know immediately, main conclusion type, right? So I know my job is to parse out this argument, and I'm just looking for the main conclusion. Psychologist says, Because of a perceived social stigma against psychotherapy, and because of age discrimination on the part of some professionals, some elderly people feel discouraged about trying psychotherapy. And I stop, and I think, okay, what was that? That was just factual context, right? That was just, that's just a thing that is true. Moving on. They should not be, however. Stop. I was just given the psychologist's opinion. Moving on. For many younger people, I stop. I just saw the word for. I know everything that comes after it is premise. For many younger people have greatly benefited from it, and people in later life have certain advantages over the young, such as breadth of knowledge, emotional maturity, and interpersonal skills that contribute to the likelihood of a positive outcome. So, indeed, I mean, it could have been that we got a subsidiary conclusion or something in there somewhere, but no, everything that came after four was indeed all premise. So now I know that this first half that I said was factual context, right? It is, it is sandwiching the main conclusion. We've got factual context and we've got main conclusion. Everything after four is premise. So I know that they should not be is the main conclusion. Now it's all referential <laughs> phrasing. So they, who, the elderly should not be what? Discouraged about trying, t- t- about trying psychotherapy. So there's my prephrase. Elderly people should not feel discouraged about trying psychotherapy. Into the question or uh, into the answer choices.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say Tiara is, of course, an expert at this and is doing this really quickly. But I think she's doing a great job of demonstrating just kind of the mental process that goes into breaking down one of these stimuluses. And this is what lets you kind of pull off the magic of being able to guess the answer choices before you've even looked at the right half of the screen. If that all seems like some sort of eldritch sorcery to you. That's okay, but that's the thing to drill next on LR. Get to the point where you just kind of break down these stimuluses almost as a second nature. because once you once you've unlocked that, once you're able to do that, really LR suddenly becomes so much simpler because you're just playing it on a completely different level.
1: Definitely. So going into the answer choices, A, and and really we're just skimming, but because this is a webinar slash podcast, I'm going to I'm gonna read them, read them. A, certain psychotherapists practice age discrimination. That is not the main conclusion. B, elderly people are better able to benefit from, nope, moving on. C, elderly people should not be reluctant to undergo psychotherapy. Boom. I pick C and I'm off.
2: Yeah.
0: And one of the nice things about this, as opposed to the eliminated or answer choice, if you're, if you're just, going through and eliminating the answer choices and just kind of going off of, well, I don't I don't really like this one, so I'm just kind of picking the one that feels best to me. Well, it's really hard to not read all of the answer choices if, if you're going to that. And to be clear, look, I, I have to do that on, on hard LR questions. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But because you had this really strong idea coming out of the stimulus, I know what answer I'm looking for. When you find exactly that answer on, on question C, they can give you a really high confidence that you have found the right answer and it's okay not to read D&E when you have that sort of match. So yeah, excellent.
1: Yes, yeah. All right, so we read the question stem. The conclusion is properly inferred if which one of the following is assumed. So I talked about if we see the word assumed as well as if in a question stem, I know I'm in sufficient assumption land. I know that my job is to make this argument valid, right? Or find the missing link as we sort of colloquial colloquially say. This stamp is probably highly valuable since it exhibits a printing error. Okay, so premise, since it exhibits a printing error, conclusion, probably highly valuable. The most important factors in determining a stamp's value, assuming it is in good condition, are its rarity and age. This is clearly a fine specimen and it is quite old as well. Okay, so I was given some triggers just now. We know that most important factors are in determining the stamp's value, which the conclusion is that the stamp is probably highly valuable. We are looking for rarity and age. And then we were given one to cross off the list. It is quite old as well, right? So we can get rid of age. Their premise, since it exhibits a printing error, is this sort of straggle thing that I need to find a way to incorporate into it being highly valuable and it, it being rare. I feel like I'm going too fast. I feel like I need to take a moment to let everybody like (laughs) digest that for a moment.
0: I I think that's good. But on the when we get to the next one, let's let everyone else try to create their own prephrase as we do it, because we'll we'll have got let them see a couple of these first. But yeah, keep keep going.
1: So I need for I need for the fact that something has a printing error. I need that to make it rare, right? Because that is going to make it highly valuable. So I need something in that family to be my prephrase. Or to put you by answer choice. So answer choice A, the older a stamp is, the more valuable it is. That's not quite what we need, right? That's the, That wasn't quite the prephrase and we're just skimming. So we move on and we're looking for something that's closer to that. B, printing errors are always confined to a few individual stamps. Okay, if something is confined to a few individual stamps, that makes it what? That makes it rare. So if it becomes rare that it's a printing error, it is probably highly valuable. I choose B and I move on.
0: So again, I think you can see just how much time that's able to save. Now, maybe you're not at the point where you can prephrase that you read through this and, and, and you, you haven't figured out the entire logical structure of it. Well, in that case, you are going to have to do that elimination process. You might have to read all of these. But again, if you can get to the level where, oh, I can just see as I read through this. Okay, well, you you told me three things that I need, and you gave me two of them. I need the third. Man, again, that that just lets you fly through these early questions.
1: Yes. Okay. So, reading the question stem, the reasoning in the argument is most most vulnerable to criticism on the ground that the argument, so we are in flaw land, right? What's the problem with this argument? People with high blood pressure are generally more nervous and anxious than are people who do not have high blood pressure. Okay? Right? That's just something that is true. This fact shows that this particular combination of personality traits, the so-called hypertensive personality, is likely to cause a person with these traits to develop high blood pressure. I'm gonna be silent for a moment. I'm gonna let everybody think about that. First thing I'm I'm honing in on here is that this is a causal argument. They have decided to they've decided to say that this thing causes something else. And their premise is just a correlation, right? And this is why I say that being really, really familiar with common logical fallacies, that is the reason that we can we can prephrase questions like this really, really quickly. Because as soon as I read this, I know that they have done the correlation is not causation flaw. So I'm looking for, for something that fits that description in the answer choices. A, fails to define the term hypertensive personality. That's not what I'm looking for. B, presupposes that people have a permanent personality traits. That is not what I am looking for. C, simply restates the claim that there is a hypertensive personality without providing evidence to support that claim. Moving on. D, takes a correlation between personality traits and high blood pressure as proof that the traits cause high blood pressure. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Now, in real test-taking conditions, probably I'm just skimming this looking for the word correlation or cause or causation. Conclusion drawn by the physician follows logically if which one of the following is assumed. We have another sufficient assumption question, so I know my job is to make the argument valid. Physician says, in itself, exercise does not cause heart attacks. Rather, a sudden increase in an exercise regimen can be a cause, okay? When people of any physical condition suddenly increase their amount of exercise, they also increase their risk of heart attack. As a result, there will be an increased risk of heart attack among employees of this company due to the new health program. So we've sort of made this jump. Our conclusion is there will be an increased risk of heart attack among employees of this company due to the new health program. The gap immediately jumps out that we have our our conditions that need to be met in order for the increased risk of heart attack to happen, but we've been given no information that that has been met within this new health program, right? So I need to find something that says that there is a, a sudden increase in an exercise that within this new health program. Answer choice A, employees will abruptly increase their amount of exercise as a result of the new health program. That is that is quite literally what the prephrase was. So we, we just choose that and we're good to go.
0: All right. So normally, right you know, at the 40 minute mark, this is a good time for us to kind of turn to you guys questions. I know these things fly by every single time. Before we jump into that, though, I do just want to give a a short little shout out to an event that we're having next week that I think a lot of you have participated in before. And that is our study group breakouts. So next Tuesday, we'll be hosting our our latest study group breakout program. If you're looking for a study group and want an easy way to meet up, this is a great way to get you paired with a group. Essentially, we sign everybody up in advance. We use the seven stage analytics to kind of figure out, hey, where are you? Where are you scoring? We'll put you automatically in a group a study group of other people who score similar to you for an hour and a half session during which you're going to go over an RC section that you've all taken together. It's a great way to just try out a study group, see if they're going to be a good group for you. And then hopefully if they are, you can continue to schedule and meet with them outside of that time. If you'd like to to sign up for that, again, that's going to be next Tuesday. You can find all of the necessary information at the link that I just posted. So with that, if you have a question that you'd like to ask Tiara or me, please feel free to go ahead and just throw up your hand in the chat, and then we will take you in more or less in the order that you appear. I will have to unmute you, and then that'll give you a chance to, to, I think I have to ask you to unmute. You'll have to actually hit the unmute button. You invariably probably say something like, can you actually hear me? We'll say
2: yes. And then go ahead and ask your question. So with that, let me start with David. Thank you for taking the time. I just had a quick question about question stems where you're kind of like reluctant to prephrase. So for me, sometimes I feel like if there's a high information load and in the stimulus, it doesn't lend itself to a prephrase. So kind of in those cases, I feel like for me, it's necessary to just kind of anchor myself by reminding myself how the argument, I guess, kind of progressed instead of just like giving into anxiety and just jumping into the answers. Would you feel, would you say that that's like the prudent thing to do? That's kind of your experience? Like just the pre I mean, quote unquote, prephrase could be something like just reminding yourself of the argument.
1: I would say that you're, in, if you have the instinct to not prephrase, you should absolutely follow that instinct, right? Because it's just going to lead you down the wrong path. So for sure, as far as what you're doing being a prephrase it's not it's not quiet i think when you when you feel like you've been given an overload of information right either it's a really lengthy stimulus or it's just really really dense i think that your your sort of initial reaction to that should be just parsing it out right just finding the structure of it what is what are the premises what is the conclusion the relationships between everything and and the function of each part of it and and that is going to help orient you more than something And and i might be putting words in your mouth and maybe when you said like how the argument progresses that might be exactly what you mean but i i think that is probably what you want to do if you feel like it's if you feel overwhelmed by a stimulus
0: yeah. And I'll just add on to that to say that we have a ton of tutors here at Seven Sage. I you know, have the, the pleasure of getting to work with guys like JY and people who just really deeply understand the LSAT. And I have yet to find anyone who can go through an entire LR section and pre-phrase every pre-phraseable question and get it exactly right. This is not a strategy that anyone at any level is able to do perfectly. It is, however, a strategy that can help you on some of the easier questions. But what exactly the, easy, the easier questions are going to be for you are going to be slightly different than, than for someone else. So, But I would say if you if you are getting to the point where there's a section at the beginning of the test where you just think of it like, oh, those are the easy ones. I can breeze through those. This is a strategy that's going to help you breeze through them faster. Again, so that you can spend that time on questions where you really need the time in order to achieve that high accuracy. Thanks so much for your question. Martinez, you're next. Yeah, so what I've kind of like noticed from like doing the very hard questions, especially for strengthening questions, is like, For those very hard questions, there's typically like different techniques to approach them if you kind of do a first glance at all the answer choices and nothing pops up. Like for like strengthening questions, I find they give you a really good argument that purposely cuts off really easy, you know, attacks. So I kind of like attack it like each answer choice is kind of like introducing a weakness of the argument. I kind of to like decide if it's like a valid weakness or not. So do you think that's a good way to attack the really hard questions? Like see it in a different light like that, if you can?
1: I do, as, again, with, with the harder ones, and, and that was on my like maybe list, and, and Strengthen was on my maybe list for easy questions, right? So once you start getting to really difficult Strengthen questions, I, I'm absolutely not going to prephrase those. There's no way I'm going to come up with, it's like you said, right? You read, if it's a more difficult question, Strengthening Stimuli can be actually like, they, you read the argument and you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I, me personally, I do think just going answer choice by answer choice and being like, okay, based on the information that I have, does that weaken it? Does that make it less likely, right? It's not going to, I'm sorry, we were talking about strengthening. Not, I was about to say it won't disprove the thing. With strengthening, does it doesn't make it more likely? It's not going to make it valid, but is it going to get me closer to the conclusion?
0: Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Thank you. Okay, excellent. All right, Jared.
1: Okay. As everyone else has been saying, thank you. Thank you. And okay. So my problem is that I overthink in LR. And I'm wondering if you have any tips to help with that aside from, I've just been trying to be mindful of when I'm in the first part of the the test. So it's one to 15. I'm like, okay, don't overthink these. And if I'm 15 to 25 or 26, then I'm like, okay, this might be tricky, but is there anything aside from that to just stop me from overthinking? Okay. So I'm going to (laughs) talk... I don't, know if this is, I don't know if this is going to help. And you, you, are, you are totally allowed to just interrupt me if this is not going in the direction of answering your question. <laughs> but this is just what popped into my brain. So I did, like, I, I'm an actor. I went, I went and got my, my master's in acting, right? And so people have to deal with overthinking all the time. And the thing that gets us out of our head in that scenario is having our objective, right? Having a very specific thing that I need to get done. Okay, so if I am overthinking NLR, you're not thinking about what is this question asking of me? Again, it's just I just keep now I'm just like a record, but it is really just about I have a specific job to get done for this particular question type. How am I going to get there? And if you're overthinking, to me, that speaks to a possibly a not quite specific enough understanding of what is required. Thank you. I'm going to cling on to that in October. Wish me luck. (laughs) Good luck. You can do it.
0: Yeah, I'll throw out one other thing: that if you're someone who, for instance, on blind review, you constantly find that you're you're changing right answers into wrong answers. Something I would encourage you to do is do what we call a challenge drill. Go through the test and just give your first gut instinct on every question. Don't go back. Don't change your initial response. Just go with really just go with your gut. And I think what you'll find, especially if you've been you're studying for the test for a while, is you'll you'll you might be surprised just how accurate your gut instinct is. And I, I think if you find that. That if you've you've done enough challenge shields that you can really see, oh man, I'm I'm like 70% accurate, even on just my first gut instinct, then you should log that away as just kind of a statistic that before you go and change any answer from your from your original instinct, you think to yourself, okay, look, my there's a 70% chance that this question is right, because I've I've done enough of these that I know that when when I have that first reaction, that it's probably right. So I really should look for a very solid, concrete reason to flip the answer, not just, oh no. I'm just experiencing self-doubt and angst and I can't have gotten that right. So I have to switch. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who just have that tendency to to doubt the answers that they put down. And and generally speaking, changing an answer without knowing for sure that there's a strong reason to do so is almost always a bad strategy for an experienced test taker.
1: Thank you so much. My gratitude is for, through the roof for being able to speak with you both. So thanks. Oh,
0: it's it's our pleasure. Thanks, Jared. And before I let Tamara ask her question, I do just want to have one other announcement that I always like to give on these. And that is if you enjoyed Tiara's talk tonight and would like some individual help from a gifted tutor like her, you're in luck. Seven Sage is a home to one of the largest and fastest growing tutoring programs. We're eager to help you achieve your goal score. And we are happy to give free consults to anyone who would like to know more about our program and how it can help you get to that next level in your study. So if you'd like to schedule a free consult, you can use the link that I just put in the chat. Again, it costs you nothing and we are always happy to meet with other seven sagers and help you in any way that we can. So with that, Tamara, what's your question?
2: Thank you so much. And I have a question about the flow type questions, even when the even with those that are easier, I've noticed that within URL sets, the common identifiable flow types are receding in in the even easier questions. So if, if, you're, if you're stumbling upon, let's say, question seven or eight, it's a flaw question, but it's less, less of a common or more of a convoluted kind of flaw, would you still preface? I mean, if you, you've prefaced it, you're trying it out, you're not seeing what the correct answer choice is, you're still confused. What would you do? Are you going back to the stimulus, you're rereading it, or you're reanalyzing, let's say, the answer choices? I think.
1: I'm making a decision in the moment of, I, I need to make a judgment call, right? So is the issue that I didn't understand the argument well enough, or is it just that my prephrase was wrong? And I, unfortunately, at least right now in this moment, maybe Scott can do it better than me. I, I can't quite articulate what is behind that instinct of knowing which which is the answer,
0: I guess the way I would phrase it is I talk a lot about switching gears on LR and and on the other section of the test between we kind of have our our fast gear. Okay, this is an easy question. This is a breeze for me. I don't need a lot of torque to, to answer this. Pre phrasing is kind of like that fast gear where I'm going through. I can just generate the answer before I even look at the answer choices. Then I can hunt, find it and I can move on. And then I've got kind of my low gear where I know I'm dealing with difficult terrain. I'm unsure of my footing. I, I read the stimulus that, I, man, I, I just don't really know what to make of this or what exactly the flaw is. And being able to switch between those and to know which questions you should use which gear on is a, a really kind of high level, difficult, but ultimately rewarding strategy for the test. And also, I would say that if, if you come through that and you feel like I should have been able to prephrase that and I just couldn't, well, then that might be a good candidate for either I, I need to use a more procedural approach. I really need to go through each answer choice and and really think about it and eliminate. Or perhaps this is a flag, you know, if it's especially it's in the first 10, let's say, that might be a, OK, let me flag this and I'll move it you know, later on in the test after I've gotten through all of the easy questions Then I, I'm already kind of switched into that to that to that low gear where i'm taking things a little slower and i'll tackle this question then
2: right sounds good thank you
0: awesome all right and then let's see ellie
2: yes hi okay my question is okay so i kind of started studying like about like a month ago and i want to take the lsat in april but it's just like i'm not getting any faster on the stuff that I'm doing, like the questions that I'm going through and like the drills that I'm doing. It's like, I'm not getting any faster than that, like at all. Like I'm not seeing any progress. Is that something that like eventually comes with time? Do you have like any like tips that I could use?
1: I mean, yeah, I think you're, I think you're being a little hard on yourself. I think you, you could give it a little bit more time before expecting to see gains in that area. I, oh my gosh, it must have been four months in before I felt like I could even handle the timer. And even then I was still struggling, but it was about four months in before I really felt like I could do that. I think your timeline, I think is totally doable. And I would I would take the pressure off of it a little bit. I don't know, because I don't know what the drills are that you're doing or what exactly you're doing to study. I, I can't speak to that and whether or not they are the best thing that you could be doing. But just speaking to your performance at this moment, I wouldn't freak out. Okay.
0: And I I would just second that to say at this stage in, in the study process, you're a month in, you've got six plus months ahead of you before you're taking the test. The thing I'd be focusing on is just make sure that you understand the fundamentals, understand the material that's being tested, and work on your accuracy. Even in just an untimed environment, once you really f- have the sense that you how to answer all the different types of questions and engage with the material of the test, then we can start talking about improving your performance, improving your speed and trying to rush against that yeah, 35 minute clock. But for right now, just focus on the fundamentals and understanding the test. And then you can worry about seeing it under under a time condition later on.
1: it. Right. Thank you so much.
0: All right, David.
2: Another question. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a second opportunity. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So one question I had was you spoke about using the question stem as a filter. And mm-hmm. I've kind of reached this point where initially I was, I had a very distinct kind of like filter for each one. And it kind of was like, all right, this isn't really working for me. Like there's maybe my approach now is like kind of to just be more efficient and being simpler. Like if it's an argument-based stem, I'm just going to be critical. But the one thing that I I guess my question to you is for like, must be true questions. Like what's your filter for those questions? Because sometimes I find that like, I can be biased by the question stem if and it kind of hurt me in, in terms of like how I'm analyzing the stimulus. So really what's your filter for, I guess, must be true. I mean, are you just like prioritizing like strong language? Just wanted to get a sense.
1: Can I ask when you say bias, what do you mean?
2: So like, for example, like, there are some stimuli where it's like the beginning. It seems like they're planting like buzzwords at the beginning of the stimulus. I could begin diagramming, and then that could have just ended up being like pointless in terms of what the correct answer calls on. And I guess like for me, like sometimes like beginning to just diagram it also kind of hurt my understanding of the stimulus itself. Just less fluid, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 I think if, if you find that, if you find that diagramming while you're reading it affects your understanding of it as a whole, then I would say, don't do that. Right. I would say for just, it is more important that you understand it as a whole first, and then you go and diagram it. Eventually, ideally it, it would be a thing where you can just, as you're reading it, you're like this, this, and this, this, and this. But if that's not now, then that's okay. For must be true That that is that is the filter, right? I'm focused on things like are they bringing up some and most at all? Do I have to pay attention to to anything like that? And if not, then I'm just I'm just diagramming it. And that is the filter.
0: Yeah. And I'd add onto that as well that, I mean, the moment you realize this is a must-be-true question, and that should change the way that you engage with that stimulus. Most of the stimuluses that you're going to read on the LR section are going to be arguments. We're going to be trying to identify premises and conclusions and these sorts of things. But if we know it's a must-be-true question, okay, well, suddenly I'm not looking for the stimulus, looking for a conclusion and a main point to the argument. I'm reading the stimulus in a different way. And I think, again, that's one of the advantages of reading the question stem first. If I came across a must-be-true stimulus and and I didn't read that question stem first, I might puzzle about that for a second. Like, what, what is this? Or did I miss the conclusion? I'm going to go read through this thing again. But if I know, oh, I, I, this must-be-true, I'm going to read it through that filter, then, okay, I'm not going to be surprised when I find a stimulus that that lacks any sort of indication of what the conclusion might be. Oh, well, no, that's, that's to be expected. I'm going to find the conclusion over in the answer choices, not in the stimulus. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, David. And thank all of you for these great questions and for coming out tonight. Again, I would encourage you, if you are not already aware of this, please take a look at the other events that we have here at Seven Sages, especially our live classes that have ended up being so popular. I just put a link to those in the chat. We'd love to see you join us. Those continue to be free all of next week as well. And with that, guys, it's been such a pleasure. It's always great to see so many of you come out to these. I look forward to seeing you next month or hopefully for our study group breakout next week. Have a great night, guys. Hey, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you got some good advice that you can implement in your own studies. If you are thinking about working with a tutor, get in touch. We'll do a free consultation. You can reach us on 7sage.com. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.